All right, we are going to continue our mental health series, which I am really excited about. Um, next week, of course, we're going to have our fun and do a little party, and I hope you enjoy a good party in the winter, especially when you grab some Hawaiian stuff. It's always fun. Um, if you haven't been to one of our fun winter parties or summer barbecues, we do a lot of fun games, so come prepared to have some fun. Like I said, bring some friends. I think they will th- thoroughly enjoy it. So we are going to review just a little bit. Um, those of you who were here last week, we're talking about Adjust Your Frequency was the title of our message last week. Who remembers uh, something that just jumped out to you or that you remember from last week? Jump in. What do you remember we talked about? It's a whole week ago. Christian. Yeah, good, good. Who else remembers something that jumped out to you from last week? Yeah, Sophie. Right, so he likes to tempt you with things that aren't even his to control. Good, what else? Devil's good at those mind games, isn't he? Often he'll tell you the exact opposite of what is true. And try and make you believe that it's your idea or God's idea. What do you think, um, kind of going into tonight's topic, what do you think he's most afraid of in regards to yourself? The enemy of your soul. What's he most afraid of? The Holy Spirit lives in you. Holy Spirit lives in you, very good. What else? What might he be most afraid of? We have a guess or a thought. Yeah, right. Remind him that he's already lost. It's good. What else? Yeah, any? Yeah, I bet he's jealous of that for sure. Afraid of our closeness with God. What else? You know, I think uh, I think you guys are out the right track. Just a thought. Um, I think he might be most afraid of our potential. Understanding that God has a plan for our life and that through the blood of Jesus we have the power of Christ in our lives and knowing that as a child of God, he cannot touch us if we exercise our authority in Christ. So tonight we're going to talk about um, the title of tonight's um, message is Chamber or Dungeon. And uh, I'll get to why I named it that, but we're, we're going to talk a little bit, kind of continuing, I guess, our, our story message of last week a little bit, talking about decision-making. You know, as a senior in high school, how many of you are seniors here? Anybody seniors? A couple of seniors, all right. So when you're in the middle of your senior year, you have a lot of decisions to make, correct? And a lot coming uh, around the corner. You know, in fact... I was uh, talking, I think, to, to Seth about different years in, uh, in high school. You know, each year sort of has a different r- rhythm to it. When you're in college, it seems like each semester has a different rhythm to it. And the se- senior year for most people is not their best year, uh, and it's simply because of the pressure. 
right? You just feel a lot of pressure. And it's not a bad thing necessarily, but you know adulthood is coming. And with that come the opportunity for a lot of decisions, right? And you're not used to making the decisions, so it's a little intimidating sometimes. It makes you a little nervous. A lot of people just don't want to make any decisions. But the reality is, if you think about it, your senior high school, you have the opportunity, for example, to coach a sport or to play a sport, right? You have the opportunity to work. You have the opportunity to be a leader in your job or to serve in the youth group. You have an opportunity, a lot of people can start attending a college group or attend college even part-time, right? Or go full-time. Or that is coming soon, at least, for you. You have the opportunity to live at home soon or live with friends. You have the opportunity to buy a used car or to buy a new car. Right? The list goes on and on and on and on. You have all of these opportunities. So, you know, we have a lot of opportunities in life. Don't you think, as a Christian that one of our most important opportunities and priorities should be listening to the voice of the Lord for our life? Right? If we are trying to think through a lot of different decisions that are coming at us or opportunities that are coming at us, especially, again, as you continue to get older, you're going to have more opportunities, more decisions to make. You might go to a lot of people and get some good advice. You might also get some really bad advice. Right? In fact, very few times in life when you go and you ask a lot of different people, hey, this is what I'm facing, what should I do? Very, very rarely will you get unanimous cons- like direction in one area. Right? Often, when you, even when you bounce it off of really wise people, you're going to have a variety of opinions. And so you have to discern, what do I do? Right? What, what kind of decision will I make? And so I think, like we talked about last week, it's really important that we tune our ear to the Word of God and to the voice of God, which is where my little demonstration here, which means you need to become a big super fan, right, of reading God's Word. Because if you're not a super fan of reading God's Word, you're at everybody else's mercy, and you're not sure what God wants you to do or the direction that God would lead you. So it's really important for us I think as believers of God, and knowing especially that the devil loves to play mind games with us, that he wants to confuse us and lead us astray. So the best guard from not being led astray is simply by being a super fan of the Word of God. It's so elementary and yet it's so powerful all at the same time. You notice when we went through the, the passage uh, in, of Jesus' temptation last week, notice every time Jesus faced a temptation, he responded with Scripture. So if Scripture is so elementary and so childish, why, does that, why was that the choice that Jesus himself used to use as a weapon? Because he understands the power of God's Word. And if you don't have God's Word in your life, you're lacking the power of God in your life. Because it's hard just to Bring stuff up without actually being in Scripture and understanding the context and power of what you're reading. So again, I just highly encourage you to get in the habit, if you're not, of getting into God's Word. And if you need help getting started in the habit of that, ask one of us leaders. We'd be happy to help you and to encourage you along the way. Right. So we're continuing our our, uh, series of mind games, and today we're really kind of talking about self-image. So what does it mean, what comes to mind when you hear the word self-image? What do you think of? For some thoughts, yeah? Um, 
Yeah, outside appearance, right? Physical appearance, first thing I think of too. Self-image, what do you think of? And not only physical appearance, but what do you, what does it imply if you're talking about self-image? Uh, maybe. How you view yourself, though, right? If it's self-image, like you're, you're trying to interpret how other people view you, so I think you're kind of right there in that case, Brooklyn, but you're, you're also trying, you're, you're projecting yourself onto yourself in a sense. How you view yourself, right? It's your, your self-worth or your self-image often comes to mind, right? And we ask things like, for example, when we think of self-image, we'll think, well, does this, you know, so self-focused, does it, how do you feel? Often it's very emotionally driven, right? Sometimes it can totally lack reality. Like you can see somebody else and they're like, well, I, you know, I heard this the other day when we were at youth group, like one person saying, oh, I don't think I'm that pretty. And everybody else is like, what? Right? Because self-image is off. It's not grounded in reality. It's grounded in our emotion. And our emotion changes on us. Right? So sometimes we do things because they feel good or we'll make changes because it makes us, we want to avoid feeling nervous, for example. I had one girl at youth group a few years ago who uh, confessed to me that her home life was so terrible that as soon as she gets home, she literally grabs a book, locks her door of her bedroom, sits in the corner of her bedroom and reads because she wants to escape. And the way she escapes is by just reading fictional books. And she's so nervous and so scared, she literally wedges herself in the corner. Right? She doesn't have a very good self-image or very good home life. One of the ways I think about self-image is how uh, at peace are you? And in particular, peace with your, yourself. Are you comfortable being alone, for example? Are you comfortable around other people? And if you're truly confident and comfortable in yourself, when you're in the middle of a high stressful situation or a lot of disappointments or external attack, you should be able to have a high sense of peace still, even in the midst of kind of chaos and craziness, even if you're dealing with sadness or disappointment or tired. It kind of reminds me of like an old sea captain, you know, like especially if you think of the older boats that used to rock around all over the place, you know, people get sick on them. Even modern-day cruise ships, if they hit a bad, bad storm, even though they're huge, people get sick on them if they're not used to being out at sea, right? But an old sea captain, if he's under even a, a, a massive storm and the ship's getting rocked back and forth and all over the place, the captain is still able to direct the crew and direct the ship and to keep his sea legs and not to get sick, right? He's at peace. He's used to the storm. He can weather a storm. And similarly, if you have a good self-image, even if a lot of stuff is coming at you, I think you have the ability to weather the storm. We're going to talk about where that self-image comes from. Right, but we have to understand, though, that the devil is waging a war, and again, it's primarily against our minds, and he's incredibly good at mind games, and he wants to, pun intended, rock our boat. Right? Throw us in a storm, turn us around, confuse us on which direction we're supposed to go. Get us to doubt the harbor we're supposed to head to. Oh, God doesn't want you to go through this storm. Right? You're headed the wrong way. Well, this isn't worth the price you're pay, you have to pay. He doesn't have a good in mind for you at that destination. Let's go another direction. Right? He wants to twist our thoughts. And we talked about doubt last week, that the key to our mind is doubting in the goodness of God. And if the devil can get us to doubt in the goodness of God, then he has access to our mind. And as soon as we give the devil access to our mind, he has the ability to wage war like crazy, and he never plays fair. 
right? It's game on. I want to turn to Romans chapter 7. You can turn your Bibles there if you would. And we're going to talk about Paul. Paul, of course, is kind of like Mr. Super Christian, Mr. Super Fan here. In Romans chapter 7, verse 21, he talks about his own conflict within him. Right? This, his, this, if you would, sort of his own rocking of his boat as the devil attacks him. And he's dealing with many things, including his own destructive tendencies. And in chapter 7, verse 21, he says, So I find this law at work in me. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. You ever feel that? I know what I need to do, what I should do, what is good for me, and yet I have this temptation, this draw to do something different. Right? Whether it's your own thought or the devil trying to distract you or the world, it is there. He says, For in my inner being I delight in God's law. Another way of saying it is I delight in God's word. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself, in my mind, am a slave to God's law or God's word. But in my sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. You see the conflict that Paul's talking about? He's like, there's two things going on. I delight in God's law. He loves God's law. No one in that time frame could probably say, hey, I'm reading God's word more than Paul or know it better, or quote it better. I mean, he is passionate about God's law, his word. His, you know, we'd call it the Bible back then. They had their own you know, Torah, etc. But he's delighted in God's word. And yet, even then, even in the midst of pouring over the scriptures of God and being in the community of God, he's still struggling with this, what his flesh wants to do. This law of sin, this doubt in God's goodness. Right? And so he has this war within him, and he says within his mind, he's got to choose, because he's going to be a slave one way or the other. He's going to train his mind. Our minds are trainable. And he's going to train his mind to go one direction or the other. He's going to be a slave to God's word and his law, and apply God's word in his life. Or he's going to be a slave to the desires of this world, and he's going to chase hard after them. And he knows his mind is going to make the decision for him. And so the battle is on. And, then, and there's this conflict. right? What does it mean to delight in something? You hear delight. What does it mean? Yeah, really happy, thrilled. What else? Who delights in ice cream? You may delight in ice cream. Right? What, is, what does ice cream do for you that you delight in it? Oh, it's ridiculously good, right? I mean, if you could get away with eating ice cream all day long and pay no consequence, would you not eat ice cream all the time? Right? You delight in it. In its goodness, its sweetness, it makes you feel good, correct? Right? What does it mean to delight in a sport? Oh, you enjoy it. You eat it up, right? It's like, I don't want to get off the court because it's so fun, right? I don't want to even have somebody sub for me if I can keep going, right? You delight in it. 
It fills you up. It fills your tank up. Right? What does it mean to delight in a person or a friendship? Yeah, right? I can't get enough of them. Right? We would say we love them. Right? We enjoy them. They fill us up. Right? You want to spend time with them. You're drawn to them. Right? I delight in my kids. I delight in you guys. I enjoy you guys. So what does it mean to be, then have your, your for there's a war going on in our minds, right? He says he delights in God's word or his law. And yet even then, even with this delight in that thing, this enjoyment of it, this love of it, this passion for it, he still finds drawn to the wrong things, right? Drawn to destructive things. So what does it mean when he says, my mind wants to make me a prisoner of sin? What do you think he's getting at? Take a guess. I think he's saying his mind wants to take him to a place that he doesn't actually want to go. Almost like you could say his mind has a mind of its own, right? Like he wants to go somewhere that he doesn't want to go. Not really, not in the depths of himself when he thinks about it. But instinctively, his mind, if he doesn't correct his mind, Paul talks about taking every thought captive. If he doesn't take his thoughts captive, if he doesn't lock the key to his mind and keep the doubts of the devil away, the doubts about the goodness of God, and protect himself, his mind is going to make him a prisoner of sin. And it's an endless rabbit trail going into the things of this world. Right? There's no bottom to it. If he doesn't take, tell the devil no and correct his mind and take himself captive, control his thoughts, you could say, right? he's going to continue to get worse and worse and worse in the things he thinks about. And those things he thinks about, he eventually he will act upon, which he talks about in another section in Scripture, and they will take control of him. So there's this war going on. We all know what it means to be tempted, right? To do evil rather than good. Another way to think of that, you could say tested. Right? So what does it mean to be tested between what is healthy and unhealthy? Have you ever face a test? Right, you've already eaten too much, now it's time to order dessert. It's a test, isn't it? Because if you order that dessert, oh, it tastes so good, but then you feel so, ugh, for the next three hours. Right? It's a test. So I believe we face a test on having good, healthy self-image. Between thinking, having the mind of Christ and how Christ views us, and falling into the traps of this world, and chasing after the mirage of the enemy. The false, the fake, the empty. So assuming we want to jump into, jump away from unhealthy patterns and get caught up instead in the pleasing things that God has for us, what kinds of things stop us from thinking about ourselves in a healthy manner? In other words, how we talked about it last week was, what stops us from viewing ourselves the way God views us? What gets in the way? 
What can you think of? What causes you to trip up? Sure, comparing yourself to others. What else? Bad thoughts, thoughts. yeah. Yes, stubbornness, our own stubbornness can. Sure, fear of what others might think. What else? What stops you from accepting God's view of you? Do you ever hear you're not good enough? That's not true about you. You're the exception to the rule. Right? Christ died for everyone and freed everyone except for you in this one thing. Right? There's a lot of things that can influence us. One of the questions we're talking about is what are you allowing to influence you? Who's controlling your self-image? Because if you won't allow God to control your self-image... Who's stepping in to control your self-image? There's a lot of things that can influence our self-image. There's others, there's society, there's the news, there's ads, all that marketing, right? You won't be never be happy until you buy that thing, wear that clothes, put your hair a certain way, have a certain body image, achieve a certain job, right? Never be happy until you have that group of friends. Tell you, her parents do this for you. Right? Sometimes our own wounds, our hurts can affect us and our self image. Our own dreams can. Things that are maybe spoken over us or said to us. The power of those words. Sometimes an experience or a failure, an embarrassment, a secret. Sometimes just wanting to be comfortable, our own habit patterns we get into, pain, joy, etc. Lots of things can influence our self-image. Sometimes when we're, we, we say things like, I don't ever want to be hurt again. I don't ever want to be uncomfortable again. I don't want to be scared again. And so those things, those fears, we build up a wall. And sometimes what is meant to protect us actually imprisons us. And we block out healthy community and we block out the word of God and the voice of God in our life just along with everything else. Right, so we can choose again how we want to, what we want to be, plan ourselves in. We want to plan ourselves into the Word of God. Right, to be a super plan and act like a royal citizen of heaven, and rely on the strength of Jesus. Or we, do we want to be bound and captivated by sin, the promises of this false world? Right, Jesus says that He purchased us and He paid for us, and He has and He wants us to have an amazing, healthy self-image. Like again, remember, when Jesus paid for the price for us, and if you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life, he looks at you, at you in perfection. He actually looks at you with your, your potential, everything he wants for you. Right? He sees you an incredibly valuable. In Ephesians 2, 8-9, it says, It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. But we can ignore the gift, and we can accept some kind of false lies, some, you know, again, some mirage. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
You know, again, Christ is saying, I paid for it all for you. In other words, the, the slate is clean. I have this picture of a castle you can put up if you got it. He's saying you can live anywhere you want. Right? You are a royal citizen of heaven if you've given your life to Christ, if you've asked for God's forgiveness in your life. And you can live anywhere you want, on the castle grounds, in the mountains, any room in the castle. You are royalty in the kingdom of God. Do you have the throne room picture or the dance hall? I think that's actually in Versailles, but I'm not sure. Anyways, you can live anywhere you want, right? It's all yours. You are royalty. And you can have a self-image that you belong there. Do you get it? God made his kingdom so that you belong there in eternity, for all of eternity. The castle is all yours. Every last room is made for your enjoyment. There's so many things in life made for your enjoyment if you follow God's laws. Right? Or, have the other picture? Or, you can choose to live stuck in the dungeon, wrestling in the filth of this world. See, it's a crazy thought to think that Christ paid it all for us, gave his life for us, and he says you can live anywhere you want in the castle. You can enjoy all these freedoms. You can have this amazing self-image. And yet people don't want to accept that self-image, don't want to live in the bedroom chambers, don't want to enjoy the great throne room, don't want to enjoy the banquet hall. Instead, they want to stay stuck in the dungeon. That's what they trade for. God says, I rescued you from all of this stuff. Right? All the lies, all the gossip, all the filth, all the immorality. But they just stay stuck in the dungeon. Living like that's where they belong instead of in the royal banquet hall. See, God tells us to pick. He says, you're an adopted son and daughter. And as a kingdom, as a citizen of heaven, you get to choose where, what do you want to live like. There is a war, and use Paul's words, that rages on in your mind, but you can choose to delight in the things of God and live like you belong as a citizen of heaven. Or you can cave in and give in and be bound in the dungeon for the rest of your life. You get to choose whether or not you apply the truth that God has for you in his words or you accept all the lies of this world and the devil. And again, keep in mind, he is really tricky and he's nasty and he knows that he's stuck there and he wants you to be stuck there too. But you don't have to live that way. You can make the trade, but it's a daily choice. Again, do you want to live in the world and the wages of sin? It's not a fun way to live. It's always defensive, always secretive, always stuck, feeling hopeless, frustrated. Right? Or you can live empowered and in freedom, understanding you belong in the royal banquet hall. That's God's intention for you. Your royalty and the whole place is yours. Just don't accept the lies and the mirage of the world. We're going to break up into our 
small groups here. Just have a couple little last-minute points. I think as a young person, sometimes we define a little bit too much on our families. And I want you to know um, that you get to choose your future. It doesn't matter what family you come from. I mean, think about it. You can have the most amazing family. Maybe it's not perfect, obviously, but very good, right? You could have incredibly healthy parents. You, they have a great marriage that care for you, that watch over you, that provide for you, that give you wise counsel and wisdom. And you know what? You can throw it all away. You can throw it all away and you can become a drunk on the street if you want to. They can't stop you if that's what you really want with your life. That's what you chase after. You can wreck your entire life if you want to. You can also come from a very broken home with alcoholic, drug-infested, cheating parents and have just a disaster for a home. And you can dig yourself out of it by following after God with your life. And you can look back years later and be like, wow, God, look what you rescued me from. And have an amazing family and an amazing future. The choice is yours. One way is certainly harder than others, and maybe it's not fair to have to do that. But you get to choose how you want to live your life. Do you want to live like royalty as a citizen of heaven? Or are you going to be stuck in the dungeon with the filth of this earth? You get to choose. And remember, the devil's greatest tool is to cause you to doubt in the goodness of God. You choose your future. Jeremiah 29, 11, God says to us, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. And my last question for you, and what I want you to think about, is will you choose to trust in the Lord and his generous plan for your life? And will you choose to chase after it? 